I'm going to welcome you to Bethel Church. So this is a very encouraging sight to see so many of you that have come in order to show your love for the Lord Jesus and your desire to show him honor. I uh, had a conversation with my dad this past week, and I said to my dad, I said, Dad was saying, I don't know about you uh, going out there in the cold like that, and I don't, I don't know about you going up on the roof like that. He said, I, it looks kind of dangerous. I, I don't know about that. And I said to my dad, I said, well, Dad, remember when I was a boy? You, uh, you had me read those, uh, you always had me read those books about the church in Russia that, uh, that was persecuted. And he said, uh, and Dad, you remember those, uh, those churches sometimes, they had to meet out in the wintertime in secret in the forest. And women and children and, and the aged, they all had to make their way out into the forest in the winter. And I've seen video pictures of that, Dad. I said they had snow all around. And they had Sometimes they even had baptisms outdoors. And my dad said, yeah, that's true, Kenny, but the pastor never climbed a tree to preach. He, uh, he stayed on the ground. So I, I normally take my dad's advice, but I, I want you to know I'm, I'm perfectly safe here, of course, and I'm so glad that you're here uh, today. You might want to take, uh, if you have a device there with you, a phone, you might want to look up BethelJackson.org, and you can follow along with the service there. There will be lyrics for the songs that we're going to sing together. There are announcements there. There's the Bethel bulletin there. And you're also going to see there that uh, we have uh, a page for Bethel kids. Amy and Andrew have worked to get to put together a little video for the kids and a page for the kids. And they can look at that, put the earphones in if I'm boring them. And, uh, but take a look at that. You're also going to notice on the BethelJackson.org website that there is a place that you can respond if you need help or if you want to help others. And we have, uh, of course, a benevolence fund. We're really grateful for the extra giving that, that you folks have given to our benevolence fund as we want to be prepared to help people in the time of hardship. We've already been able to do that a little. And I'm sure that we'll have opportunity to do that more. So you can give to the Benevolence Fund by clicking the giving link on the BethelJackson.org website. And then you can also give regular gifts as the Lord directs you to do that. Um, I want to encourage you to this. Uh, I want to encourage you to uh, connect with one another. I know you're doing that. Uh, we, we want to stay in our cars today. We want to stay a safe distance away from one another. We want to be in full compliance with all the, the safety and health uh, requests that our government has given to us because we know that God gave them to us for our protection. And what we're doing here today is, uh, obviously, it's not a reaction. It's not a, it's not a, uh, a reaction against uh, our authorities, but it's, uh, it's an attempt to be under God-given authority and yet still obey the Lord in being able to assemble together and, and be able to join together. And so... Uh, there's also an initiative online I wanted to tell you about uh, that it's called uh, how, uh, how Jesus Changed My Life. And the idea online there, we'll, you, if you go to our Bethel Facebook page, we'll give you a link to this. It's an Easter initiative. And here's, here's what we're going to ask you to consider doing. 
follow the directions there about giving a, a little brief, make a little brief selfie video of your own personal testimony that we can begin to share, as so many people are on social media now, we can begin to share with one another and give our testimonies in that way. So again, these are some of the things we wanted you to be aware of. Check out the website, the Bethel Kids, the groups, how to help, how to get help, Jesus Changed My Life video, how to give. Some of you will have a desire to give a gift today. We aren't receiving any cash gifts today, but after the service is over, if you go under the overhang here, you'll have an opportunity to give if you wish to give. But we're just glad that you're here with us today. If you're not giving, take the outside lane when you leave, and uh, that's how that works. Now, if you will, um, take a look on your... Uh, Take a look on your, um, you want to roll your window down ever so slightly so that we can hear you sing. And take a look there for the lyrics. And I want you to join me in a song. I'm going to pray, and then I want you to join me in, in singing. Father in heaven, we come before you now as the Bethel Church, and we humbly assemble as you commanded us to do. We delightfully obey that command. And in this unusual way, Lord, it's just our attempt to obey your word, to show our reverence for you, to express our need for you, Lord, to display our devotion to you, to love one another, and to humble ourselves under your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Join me in singing. What a fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms what a blessedness what a peace is mine leaning on the everlasting arms leaning leaning safe and secure from all alarms leaning 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 on the everlasting arms oh how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way leaning on the everlasting arms oh how bright the path grows from day to day leaning on the everlasting arms leaning leaning safe and secure from all alarms leaning 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 on the everlasting arms what have i to dread what have i to fear leaning on the everlasting arms i have blessed peace with my lord so near leaning on the everlasting arms leaning leaning safe and secure from all alarms leaning 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 on the everlasting arms I want you to take I want you to take uh, time now each of you there in your own car and imagine it like a little a uh, uh, little cocoon of prayer our world needs prayer right now our state needs prayer
Our government leaders, they need prayer. All of us need prayer. And, and now is the time we're assembled together in this beautiful way. And I wish you could be here and see that, what I can see. And in each of these cars, I trust, contains people who talk to God in prayer. And we want to encourage you right now, we're just going to have a quiet time all together in silence. And then in your car, each of you who feels, each of you feels comfortable doing it, why don't you pray out loud to, uh, to God and seek in His help. We have uh, a number in our county who are sick or who are hospitalized. Some are even at, uh, in, in very, very serious peril right now. And our hearts are heavy about that. We pray especially for Carrie Lehman, uh, whose uh, parents, his brother, are uh, part of the Bethel Church. We want to ask God for his help and healing and help for his family. We want to pray for our government leaders and the difficult decisions that they have to make. Uh, I know all of us have, many of us have uh, financial pressures that are looming and businesses, and especially if you have a small business or if you're related to business things, to pray about those things. So now let's uh, go before the Lord in prayer. I'll be quiet for a moment while you pray, and then I'll, I'll close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today together as a church. And we ask, Lord, that you would help those around the world who are sick and many who are dying. And I pray that you would help them to have confidence of eternal life through Christ our Lord. We pray, Lord, for those that are dear to us, Carrie and others that are, are here in our own county. And we pray, Lord, that you would spare their lives we ask for your help. We join our voices together in prayer, humbly asking you to help them. Lord, I pray that we would have uh, a humble spirit as Christians in this time. And that we would uh, demonstrate our humility and our willingness to be under authority and to trust the people that you put in governance over us at this point, at this time. We, we don't really trust them so much as we trust that you can work through them. And so, Lord, this is what we ask, that you would help us to walk in humility. This morning, we want to lift up doctors and nurses and caregivers, uh, emergency responders, and those who really are on the front lines of this terrible plague. And we thank you for their courage and their sacrifice and their 
their uh, commitment to their their work. And I pray, Lord, that you would please help them as they minister to the sick and to the dying, and that that you would especially protect them. I pray for all who are in authority as they have difficult decisions to make. I pray, Lord, for business leaders and education leaders that are in unprecedented times and and they, they have to quickly pivot and make decisions to help other people and how to keep their businesses solvent and and what and decisions that they have to make about their employees and and Lord I pray for uh, help during this time we would humble ourselves and we'd realize Lord without your provision without your protection everything that we have can just be quickly blown away it can make wings and fly away and we we as Christians we acknowledge that that's true and we humbly ask for your help especially for those that are facing a, uh, extreme loss and danger and hunger and we ask for your help in this in Jesus name we pray amen Join me in singing another song there. If you can look it up on your phone and uh, maybe uh, give your window just a safe crack there and lift your voice up with me and sing, Behold Our God. Let's sing that together. Who has held the oceans in his hands? Who has numbered every grain of sand? Kings and nations tremble at his voice. All creation rises to rejoice. Behold our God seated on his throne. Come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him who has given counsel to the Lord, who can question any of his words, who can teach the one who knows all things, who can fathom all his wondrous deeds. Behold our God seated on his throne, Come, let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come, let us adore him. I want you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7. And today, while we're gathered here, I want to share from my heart Three very powerful ways from the scripture to displace fear and anxiety. Years ago, I was a minister, I was a youth minister ministering to teenagers in a high school. I had a little blue VW and I would drive to the high school at lunch hour. And my, uh, my job was to go in during a lunch hour and make conversation with teenagers in the school. And I remember, it was years ago, and I remember that I would drive my car into the, the school parking lot, and I would park my car, and then I would 
get ready to get out and go in and talk to those teens and I would have a wave of anxiety that would come over me, a wave of fear and anxiety about going in uh, to talk to those teens. They'd be in the cafeteria or they'd be in the hallways or they'd be in the gym. And here I was an adult, they were teens. And I would sit there in my car and I would pray for God to help me overcome the fear and the anxiety about going in there. One day I was reading the scriptures and I came across this passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 7 that we're going to read in a moment. But in the version that I was reading that day, I remember this what it said, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And I began to think about fear as if it were a red warning light on the dashboard of my soul telling me that something is wrong. And I want you to think about this for a minute. Look at fear or anxiety as a red warning light on the dashboard of your soul telling you something's wrong. Let me say this first. Fear can be a good thing. If you're in danger, you should feel fear. If there's a danger around us, it is fear that makes us wash our hands. It's fear that makes us create a social distance or take measures or steps to do things that are wise or prudent. That, the Bible doesn't condemn that. The Bible actually commends that. That's wise. And so there should be a level of concern, of fear. That's not what the scriptures are talking about when they talk about sinful anxiety or anxiety as a, as a vice. It's when we go beyond what regular measures that we can take, and then we're anxious and we're worried about things that are not under our control, or we're anxious or we're worried about things that may or may not happen. These are the things we're talking about. So that kind of fear, when, when you feel that kind of fear, I want you to think like this. When I was young, this is what I thought. I thought, well, that's like a red light on the dashboard of my spirit telling me that maybe one of three things is wrong. And they're keyed on these other things. God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but he gave us the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, gives us power and love and disciplined thinking or a sound mind. So look at fear as a red light on the dashboard of your spirit telling you that you're operating under your own power instead of under his power. So in other words, when I would go into that high school, I would think, well, I've got to charm these kids or I've got to win these kids. I think, no, I don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit is in me. And whatever God wants to do in their life, he can do it under his power, not mine. So fear is a red light on the dashboard of my spirit telling me that I was going in there to minister to those young people under my own power, conscious of my own ability, instead of being conscious of God's power or God's ability. And then there is uh, love. Fear is a red light on the dashboard of my spirit telling me that I'm more concerned about me than I am about them. I'm, I'm concerned about them rejecting me. I'm concerned about them mocking me or making fun of me. But I think, wait a minute, if these young people are, uh, don't know God, they're going to face eternity away from God without God. And if I really care about them, then I'll overcome my fear and uh, be, uh, with love. So fear, in, I, looked, I began to look at fear as a red warning light on the dashboard uh, uh, of my soul telling me that I was operating under my own power. 
telling me that I was thinking about myself instead of them. The third thing was a sound mind. I began to look at fear as a red light on the dashboard of my soul that was telling me that I wasn't, dis I wasn't operating with a disciplined mind. In other words, when I go in there, they weren't, the young people weren't going to gather and burn me at the stake. Uh, they weren't going to harm me. They weren't going to pelt me with stones. They weren't going to throw me in prison. It was really irrational fear. And not all fear is irrational, but much fear is irrational fear. And today, I want to take those three things I just told you. Well, look at this passage a moment. I want to take those three things, and that's a small stepping stone, I admit. The fear of going and meeting young people I don't know isn't anything like the fear that we're facing today, fear of death and fear of loss and fear of uh, death or illness of our loved ones, uh, disruption of our whole world, our whole nation, our whole society. But it's a small stepping stone. We, this is the way we learn. We, we, we take small steps with the Lord, and then we know that we can trust Him for bigger steps. And this is what I'm talking about here. Uh, in the Bible, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, we have a, a letter that's written from the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Paul is in prison and he's suffering, and he's actually never going to get out of prison, but he's going to die a martyr's death before he gets out of prison. In that context, he's writing to Timothy, who's a pastor who also is suffering, and according to church tradition, Timothy himself will also die a martyr's death. And Paul is saying to him, be prepared to suffer and continue to obey the Lord and overcome this fear. Let me read this to you. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience. As I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I might be filled with joy. And I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I'm sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. And therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering, Paul said. He said, be prepared to suffer, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us. He called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ, Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. And then he says this, But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. You follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit, who dwells in you, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So you see what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying to Timothy, hey, don't be afraid. You're not going to have to suffer. 
Paul's saying, you will suffer. Don't be afraid. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. And the Holy Spirit living in you will give you power and love and disciplined thinking. And so even as we, as I discovered as a young youth worker in a really small way, in a baby step, I discovered how to overcome my anxiety through thinking about the power of the Holy Spirit and thinking about the priority of love and thinking about how important it is to think, to discipline my mind or my thoughts. We can take these same things today and I want you to imagine the, the, the fear that you face. This hardship that we're going through, I think comes in at least three great waves. We don't know how big those waves are. And we tune to the news every night. And one of the things that we're trying to find out is how big of a wave of death is gonna cross our life. And then there's a, a wave of loss and we wonder, how, how long will we be without work? Or how long will we be without uh, funds or finances? How long will we be out of school? Our businesses will be closed down. Or our church can't meet in a regular way. How, how big is that wave? And then there's this wave of anxiety that comes, this wave of fear. And so you have the wave of death and disease. You have the wave of loss and poverty. You have the wave of anxiety. In order for us, as we've been, we, we talked about those three things the last time I was on the roof here. We talked about the wave of death. The answer to uh, facing death is for Christians, according to the Bible, is to take up our cross. Jesus said to follow him is to take up our cross. He sometimes said to, to follow him is to take up our cross daily. In other words, the answer to the fear of death is to be ready to die because someday we will die someday death will begin to and for, for many of you it already has begin to touch your closest family circle and begin to take your loved ones in death but paul when he wrote to timothy he said this he said jesus abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel yet paul died but yet he had eternal life and so when he physically died, he went into the presence of the Lord where he still lives in paradise with God today. The answer to death, as I mentioned when I was up here and preaching before, is be prepared to die and be prepared to lay down your life if God asks you to do that. Are you ready to die? Think about this. Are you ready to die? Are you prepared to meet God? Are the people that you love the most in the world, are they ready to die? Those of us who know the Lord, who are believers and followers of Jesus, we have this wonderful truth that our world so desperately needs right now. They need to know there's a way to face death with confidence that it only means the beginning of eternal life. Can I say this in a very practical way? There are people that live all around us who, who are not ready to die. There are people that you know and you love very much and they are not ready to die. You have the gospel. You can tell them how to be ready to die. And so that's the first wave, the wave of death. But the wave of death is conquered by the life-giving truth of the gospel. And then there's that wave of loss. And last week in my study down below, I recorded a message for you about, you know, how to handle uh, financial, how Jesus said to handle financial loss, and we won't review that right now. But, but the idea of being being willing to being willing to make Jesus our treasure alone, 
when, when, and maybe one of the things that this kind of difficulty and hardship teaches us is that it's difficult for us to make Jesus our, alone our treasure because we like to gather our things and we like to gather our comforts and we like to have our security in our, in our bank account and in our things that we own. Now, all of us probably do that. And yet at a time like this, Jesus is saying, is it all right if I alone am your greatest treasure? So if Jesus is our life, we don't fear death. And if Jesus is our treasure, we don't fear loss. And now let's talk about this matter of fear and apply these three things to the kind of wave of fear that you might be facing right now and the kind of anxiety that you might be dealing with right now. Think about it like this. Ask yourself the question, am I operating here under the power of the Holy Spirit? Because God didn't give us a spirit of fear. He gave us the, the Spirit of God who gives us power. Now the Holy Spirit, the, the power of the Holy Spirit works in us in a couple of very meaningful ways. One is he tells us what it, what it is he wants us to do. He guides us in what to do. And then two, he empowers us to do what he called us to do. When I read this passage today, you can see that Paul says, we're on a mission here. We're doing something. We're not just living for our own comfort or our own survival or our own pleasure, but we're living to give the gospel to others. We're, we're kingdom people. And, and he said, and that's gonna, he taught Timothy, that's going to involve suffering. Don't be afraid of that. And God is going to empower us to, to do whatever he called us to do. So we want to be trusting God to tell us what to do. That's what the Holy Spirit will do. Did you ever have anybody ride with you when you're going somewhere and you knew where you were going and you knew how you were going to get there and maybe you had your own, you know, you want to take the scenic route or you had your own favorite way to go and that person that was riding you was kind of a control person and they were, they were not happy because they didn't know why you were going the way you were going. You ever have that happen to you? Jesus is telling us, I believe, at this time, get in the passenger seat, I'm driving, you trust me. Now, if we fuss with, the, with uh, Jesus all the time, we're not going to enjoy the trip. But if we trust him, he may be taking us through a difficulty. He certainly is. And yet we know him well enough to know that the destination will ultimately be good. And we know that sometimes he takes the scenic route, and sometimes he takes the mountain route, and sometimes he takes the valley route. But we're not the kind of people that destroy the trip by fussing with him all the time. But we trust him. Now we trust the power of the Holy Spirit to tell us what to do. I called my son Daniel this week, and this year he decided he was in oil in, in New Mexico, and he was working in oil in Texas and in New Mexico, and he was making a lot of money, but he wanted to be a police officer. He wanted to be a law enforcement officer. And so he quit his job, his lucrative job, after he'd paid off his debt, he quit this lucrative job in, in oil to join a, a very modest paying job in law enforcement. Now the people from the oil company called him back after a while, and they offered him a lot more money to come back. Everybody in the family counseled him to quit his law enforcement job and take the lucrative job in the oil fields. He and his wife labored in prayer together and they wanted to decide, you know, what is God's will and what is God directing us to do? And together they came to the decision that they would, that, that he would follow his heart into this 
law enforcement, even though it didn't pay as well. This last week I was talking to Daniel and I said to him, how's it going, Daniel? And he says, well, he said, the guy that was gonna hire me to work in oil, he lost his job today. If I was lurking in oil, I wouldn't have a job today because I'm in law enforcement, I have a job. I'm not trying to tell you that, that whenever the Holy Spirit leads you, he's gonna lead you into a higher paying job or into something that isn't dangerous. I'm just saying that to say that we have the power of the Holy Spirit is to know that the Holy Spirit will lead us, he'll guide us, he'll, he'll give us wisdom and direction, and then he'll empower us. My parents, just a couple of weeks ago, they resigned uh, their church, they retired, and they moved away from the parsonage into a little apartment over in Kalamazoo. To be honest, I had hoped that they would stay where they were longer. I didn't tell them this, but that was my secret hope. Because they lived closer, I could see them more often, and I just hoped that they could do that longer. But they had a sense that God was giving them direction, and they, and they, they resigned the church. We went over the Friday after they resigned, and we moved them to Kalamazoo, and I think two days later, the, the move would have been impossible because of the governor's orders. God was giving them guidance, and God will give you guidance. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about your family. He cares about what you're burdened about. And if you're a believer, you have the Holy Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit, you have power. And that power is to know what to do and the power to do it. It's a little bit like, I want you to imagine a summer day and a glassy lake. And I want you to imagine you have the choice between two different kinds of boats. One boat is a paddle boat where you do all the work. You can go out and you can see the lake on a paddle boat but you're gonna work really hard for everything that you get. I want you to imagine the other boat is a beautiful sailboat, and it's, it comes equipped with an experienced sailor. Now that boat, you get on that boat, and the sailor just lifts the sails, and the wind drives the boat across the lake in a beautiful way, in a in, in, in speedy way. Understand this, when I live under my own power, when I say, I'll figure out what to do with my life, and I will, I have the power to do what needs to be done, I've got to take my life in my own hands. It's like the paddle boat. You're going to wear yourself out. You're going to exhaust yourself. You're going to run out of energy. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be angry. But to trust the Holy Spirit to give you the knowledge of what to do and the power to do it to serve Him is like lifting the sail. And what that would look like would be just trusting Him in prayer. Do what you know needs to be done based on the wisdom that you have from the word. When, when things get beyond you, you understand there in all of that time, it, it, even what you do through the skill and the ability you have, you acknowledge that it's only through God's power that you can do anything that matters. So look at fear as a red light on the dashboard of your soul telling you you're depending on your own power instead of depending on the Holy Spirit's power. Now what's the second thing? It's love. Look at fear as a red light on the dashboard of your soul telling you your, fe your fear is probably because you're thinking about yourself more than you think about others. You're more concerned with you than you are with them. There was a woman once who was uh, terribly afraid of flying and she could never get onto an airplane no matter where it was she had an opportunity to go because she was so afraid of flying. Until one day her daughter was gonna have a baby out on the west coast and she called her on the phone and said mom 
I need you to be with me. I don't want to have this baby without you out here. Please come and see me. She got an airplane ticket. She went to the airport. She flew to the West Coast. Somebody said, weren't you afraid? She said, I didn't even think about it. My daughter needed me. Fred Craddock said he lived during the Great Depression on a rail, near a railroad track. Every once in a while, he said he would come down from his bedroom and there would be an ill-dressed, ill-kempt, strange man sitting at the kitchen table eating a full breakfast. His mother would be standing there in the kitchen with this strange man feeding this stranger breakfast. And then when he would leave, Fred said one day a guy came like that and he was afraid. And after the man left, he said to his mom, Mom, who is that man? His mother said, well, he came on the railroad and he was hungry and he was poor and he was cold and he asked for food and I had food. So I made him breakfast. And, and Fred said, but mom, weren't you scared of him? And she said, Fred, the man was hungry. He said, mom, I'm scared when you let people like that in the house. She said, Fred, the man was hungry. What was, she, what was she teaching him? She was teaching him what the Apostle John said in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. Love displaces fear. The power of the Holy Spirit. We believe we can operate in the power of the Holy Spirit. That displaces fear. Love displaces fear. And the third thing, a sound mind, a disciplined mind. When we read the newspapers, watch the evening news, and we track all of this news, we're trying to find out information that will help us, and that's only natural. But for most of us, it would be easy for us to meditate and to concentrate more on every little subtlety, every little suggestion, every chart, every graph, every guess of what people are trying to guess what's happening. It would be easy for us to spend all of our time meditating on those things and what's that going to do that's going to increase our anxiety that's going to increase our our fear that's not having a disciplined mind a, a disciplined mind goes to the truth of god's word if you rewind the tape of what leaders have said and what news people have said if you rewind the tape just a few months time you can find all kinds of things that people said in a well-meaning way that weren't really true or accurate. They could have been worse. They could have not been as bad. These are, it's helpful that we have people that are trying to help us see what will happen in the future. But here's what we know. We know what God has said in his word. We know that what God has said in his word is true. It's always been true and it always will be true. We know that we can trust what God said in his word. If heaven and earth pass away, he said, his word will never pass away. So I want to challenge you to think of these three things when you have fear. Power, love, sound mind. Am I operating in my own power? When I have fear, then I need to trust in the power of God. When I have fear, I need to think about other people and not just myself. And when I have fear, I need to meditate more on truth than I do on other people's guesswork. What we have before us really is an opportunity that we didn't ask for. But God decided to drive us in his sovereignty into that valley 
and give us these opportunities. Think about this. Now we have an opportunity to talk about life and death to people who one day are going to face God. We have a ministry opportunity, and there are literally people all around us. I, was, uh, I came here to the parking lot this week. And I looked over at this house over here. There was a man in the, in the uh, yard. I walked over. I kept my distance. I greeted him. His name is Bobby. Bobby said, Pastor, good to see you. He said, I've been over to Bethel a few times. He said, when this is over, I'm going to come and I'm going to join the church. And I'm going to serve. There are people everywhere who are looking for answers. They're looking for help. They're looking for friendship. They're looking for fellowship. This is an opportunity to love one another. It's an opportunity to love others. It's also an opportunity for us to get our roots deep in the Lord and to grow in the Lord. You know how difficult it is to grow spiritually. You and I both know that. But people that are spiritually mature and people that flourish spiritually will often tell you it was the time of difficulty that was the best time for them to grow. So this is an opportunity for us to love other people. And this is an opportunity for us to, deep, to grow deep in the Lord. But there's something more, and this is important to say. This is an opportunity for us to glorify God. We're not here on earth for our own comfort. We're not here on earth primarily for our own pleasure. We're here in order to bring glory to God. And the Apostle Paul once said when he was facing death, he said, if I, if I live, then I can be with you, and that's good. But if I die, I go be with the Lord, and that's even better. And then Paul said this, whether I, I, I live to the glory of God or die to the glory of God. Many years ago in, in World War II, when Hitler invaded Holland, there was a, a, a small family that lived in a watch in the upstairs apartment of a watchmaker's shop, the Ten Boom family. There was Casper, the mother had died. There was Casper, the father, and he lived there with his two daughters, Betsy and Corey. They were devout believers in Christ. And when they saw that the Jewish people were being persecuted by the Nazi regime, you probably know the story. They began to shelter these Jewish people. When they were found out, all three of them were taken to a, a, a concentration camps. And when Corey eventually was released alive from Ravensbrück, the concentration camp, she eventually went all around the world writing and speaking and giving glory to God with her life and telling the story about how God sustained her through that horrible time. But here's something that we don't often think. That little family, that little cluster of a family that lived in the upstairs of that watchmaker shop included Casper, the father, and Betsy, Corey's sister. And both of them died in the concentration camp. Casper glorified God by laying down his life in the concentration camp. And Betsy glorified God in her death. Casper glorified God in his death. And, Beth, and Corey glorified God in her life and now she also has died now, and God be the Lord has glorified God in her death. Here's the way that we can be free, that we can be free and operate freely and do what God wants us to do while these wave, a wave of death and disease come, and a wave of loss comes, and a wave of fear comes. When the wave of death comes, we say, Jesus is our life. When the wave of loss comes, we say, Jesus is our treasure. And when the wave of, wave, wave of fear comes, we say, 
Jesus Christ is our hope. I want to send you on your way today with a blessing. Join with me in prayer, and then we want you to carefully exit the parking lot when you're finished. Lord, I pray that you would fill us now with faith and courage. I pray, Lord, that you would move our hearts with compassion, and I pray that you would strengthen our faith. Lord, I pray your blessing on all who have come here to worship today that you alone would be our hope of eternal life in a time of death and disease, that you alone would be our treasure in the face of loss, that you alone would be our hope and our confidence in a time of fear through Christ Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life and our eternal King forever. God bless you.